And believe this, what God says in Samuel. If you honor me, I'll honor you. And you're honoring God. And God's going to honor your life. Keep doing it. And they just both thanked me for words of encouragement and just smiled. But you know, when you see young people doing things for the Lord and doing them right, encourage them. Encourage them. Because Satan will do enough to beat them down. And we need to be encouragers. I don't care who it's to. We encourage them. We encourage them. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray together? Father, I pray that this morning that you really would be more real to us than the ground that we stand on. We take you so much for granted. And oftentimes, Lord, we ignore the salvation in which we are called into. But Lord, help us to be mindful of how real our salvation is. But how real the one is who has saved us and called us. Called each one of us to himself. And Lord, may we not define ourselves by the world or even by our own thoughts. But may we find our identity in Jesus Christ and in his word. That I am what his word declares me to be. That I am a child of God. And that I know, Lord, that I've been bought with a price. Not with gold and silver and precious stones or the wealth of man. But, oh God, I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we know that we belong to him. Lord, help us to settle that in our hearts and our minds. Help us daily to be reminded of it that I belong to Jesus Christ. And help us, O God, to be men and women who will walk worthy of your calling on our lives. And help us, O God, not to take our Christianity for granted. To not take it as, this is something I'm doing for God. But to remember It is something that God is working out in me. Lord, we are your people. And though, Lord, sometimes we don't always shine, we pray, Father, that you'll break out your polish and your rag and your brush and you'll dust us off that we might shine like stars. And may you minister to us this morning. May you give us understanding. May your Holy Spirit meet with us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wouldn't it be something that if people would know that our God is more real than the ground that they stand on. And if they could truly understand that they really do belong to Abba Father that we belong to the living God, that we really do belong to him. Well, today we're going to jump into that other area of John 1.14, where John says, I beheld his glory in King James. I've seen his glory. You take that word through the Bible and you will see it extensively. Glory, 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 glory. And there's more than what we could cover in a 45 minutes or so. But may I suggest to you that we have not yet even begun to see God's glory? There's the side of His glory. 
that we long for. And that is to see Him as He is. And as you walk with Him longer and you live for Him, that becomes a longing within the heart that you really want to see Him in all His splendor, in all His glory, in all His majesty. You want to see Him. And that is something that we won't see on this side. Whereas he said unto Moses, no man can see my face and what? And, and, and live. So what I'm going to do this morning is try to describe to you, in a sense, what we see of God's glory. How we perceive God's glory. And understand that that glory is so insignificant to the glory that one day we shall behold. That we will really see. For we look through a mirror dimly and we don't see it all yet. But what we do see, we should take to heart. We should take to heart. And we should recognize it. We see the glory of Jesus. And I like how John ends this in a sense, in this little statement. The one and only. John in that little statement is saying, there is no other Son of God. There is no other that is like Jesus. There is no other who is the anointed one. There is no other that is your Savior. There is no other but Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ. And John said, we see or we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. We've seen his glory. Now, in Exodus, he tells us, who among the gods? And you know, coming up out of Egypt, there's all kind of gods and so forth. And I imagine as Israel traveled and began to experience differently and knowing what had been passed down from their time of captivity through. Yeah, they would look at Gods. And it says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majesty in holiness. Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glory. Working and wonders. Awesome in his glory. That when you see God's glory, somehow it captivates you. Even now. It it draws your attention. Even now. And you even really look at it. In in a sense that you're gazing at it. And you're staring at it. And you're beholding it. His glory. In Exodus 16, 6 and 10. He said. God's glory in a cloud. The tabernacle was up and the people are looking far out and they see this little cloud and God's glory is in that cloud until it just continues to come and approach and it fills the tabernacle with God's glory. God's glory. God's glory. So his glory was like in a cloud. His glory was in a pillar of fire. His glory. In Exodus 33, 18, 23, Moses asked God, God, would you show me your glory? Would you show me your glory? And it's something about 
what God does there. Turn with me to Exodus 33. And let's look at these couple of verses. Because it explains something to us. It explains something to us that we need to grab hold of. In verse 18 it says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness. How is God describing his glory? His goodness. His goodness. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. His glory, his mercy, his glory, his compassion. Those are actions. Those are things that we can see. And he says, I'm going to let it pass you. And when you hear the word mercy and compassion, it's the acts of God. It's what God does. It's what God does. And what he does, we should be able to see it. See it. And he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. But he describes, in a sense, his glory. His glory is in his works. His glory is in his deeds. His glory is in his mercy. His glory is in his compassion. Why? That's what we're able to identify with and see and say, this is of the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's glory. This is something God at work at. And we can identify it. And Moses says, Show me your glory. I want to be able to see it. And how does God describe it? His goodness. His goodness. That's why I said, there's another part of this glory that we have not yet, what? Been able to behold. To see. But we can see His goodness. We can see his mercy and compassion. We can see that in a very personal way. His goodness revealed in our personal lives that is there. Jesus is going to represent something that Moses could not have represented. Jesus is going to show forth something that Moses and the prophets or no one else could have shown or represented. Moses could not even done it. That's why Moses is used in the illustration here in 2 Corinthians. Because Moses himself could not have shown it. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And what I want you to hitch is that, yes, and some of you, your title is going to be talking about the issue of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But then he uses Moses, in a sense, as an illustration of one that is greater and more glorious than the other. But I want you to also catch and hear what he is saying. So when we pick up in verse 10, I get my eyes. For what was glorious 
has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. The Old Testament is nothing compared to what? This New Testament. And the glory that's in the New Testament compared to what was in the Old Testament. And he goes on, he says in verse 11, And if what was fading away, again, referring to what? Old Testament, New Testament. To that which was fading away came with glory. And much greater is the glory of that which, now now catch this word here, which lasts. Which lasts. The glory that's able to what? Last. Not a glory that what? Fades away with time, but a glory that is able to what? Last. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. We're not like who? Catch that. We're not like Moses. Who would put a veil over his face. We don't put a veil over our Christianity. We don't put a veil over our lives. We want people to see us. Now there's a difference between making yourself be seen and then being seen. A lot of people do too much to make themselves seen. We done went wild with tattoos to make ourselves what? Seen. We done went wild with stuff we put in our noses and our ears and our eyes down here on our tongues, everywhere else. Make ourselves be seen. But the reality is this here. Is when Jesus Christ is part of your life, you don't have to make yourself seen. You will be seen. And he says, And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing as it was, as it, while the radiance did what? The radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when one old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ, only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, catch this, underline this, star this. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Taken away. Why? God wants people to see his glory. God wants people to see what he's done in our life. He doesn't want to veil it. He doesn't want to hide it. He wants it to be open and to be seen. And he says... Boy, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers, covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now catch 18. Grab hold to 18. And we who? We. Who's the we? That's us. That's us. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect. Reflect what? 
the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory. The work God's doing in your life reflects his glory. You're his workmanship. His glory. He doesn't want to put a veil over that. He wants to see other people watch you as you go through your transition, as you are being changed, as you are being renewed, as the old man is being shedded and a new man is beginning to be seen. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, and being transformed into his likeness with, now catch this, with ever-increasing glory. What should your life be like? It's ever-increasing to see what? The glory of God. It's ever-increasing to see that what God is doing Your life is something that is constantly getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter of what the Lord is doing in your life. And that is the glory of God at work, His deeds, His work in your life. When I look at Pearl and Walter, boy, that's the glory of God and God only who took two people as far as they were from the east and the west and brought them together. And now what are they doing? They're in the ministry with family life. Doing what? Teaching other people in this area about marriage. Going to seminars themselves. Sharpening them themselves. And they are becoming what? Brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And changes is taking place in their life. Pearl's not the young lady that first came here. We can see the changes. Walter's not the same young man he was when he came here. We're hearing something different. There's a change going on. And then you look at Melvin and Lynn and you see them in ministry together. And what they even did this weekend, that was the glory of who? The glory of God. Two broken individuals brought together. God healed, but yet what they're doing now manifests the glory of God. In your life, how do you see God's glory? When you look in the mirror, can you see God's glory? Can you see a reflection of Jesus Christ? What would you call in your life the glory of God? For Elaine and I, 53 years of marriage, that's the glory of God. The only thing Elaine and I could do was tear marriage up. But that's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. You should be able to look in your life and define what is the glory of God. For me not to be up here stuttering and stammering, that's the glory of God. There's something in your life, many things, not one thing, not two. There are many things. Why? Because you're his workmanship. You're his deeds. You're his goodness. You're his mercy. You're the one he showered his compassion on, his love on. And people ought to be able to see it. People ought to be able to see your love for him, but more than that, his love for you. For what he's done for you. That's his glory. That's his glory on earth here that people can witness and see because John says we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. And we should be able to see that. We won't see everything John saw, but we ought to see God working in the lives of people. And recognize that it is God's glory. And guess what? When you see it and you keep your eyes upon him, because that word behold is like going to a picture show. It's an ongoing. 
beholding and studying and looking at with eyes wide open. You don't want to miss a thing. It's there. And he says, boy, we beheld his glory. We seen his glory. What are you seeing? Oh, yes, you watch the six o'clock news. Boy, I used to get on my wife about news. And boy, how I got her turned on the news. Sometimes I curse myself for it. So we got to watch the 5 o'clock news, the 6 o'clock news, then the 10 o'clock news, then the 11 o'clock news, and then CNN news, and then this news. Honey, we can watch one time and we get it all. (laughs) And yet, when you're watching a person's life, you ought to see the glory of God increasing. They become more brighter. They shine a little bit more. Why? Because of the work of God. And they are the glory of God being transmitted into a light that others can see. So we don't put a veil on it. We open it up that everybody can see it. And we want people to see it. God's glory is seeable. It's seeable. Oftentimes we close our eyes to it. We ignore it. We put another name on it. But God's glory, it is something to behold. It will captivate you. It will fascinate you. It will cause you to have deep thoughts about this God who is at work in someone's life. And is able to hold your interest. It's able to captivate you and cause you to think deeply about the one because you know that person could not have changed themselves. You know that person could not have kept themselves. You know that that person could not have went through that without somebody else helping them. And the glory of God just shines. Just shines in the individual's life. And we need to recognize that. That we have seen his glory. Because there's something to gaze upon. It's something to open our eyes to. And bear witness to. And to talk about. And you need to be able to share with people the glory of God in your life. How God has caused you to shine like a star. Because those are his deeds and his work. You are my workmanship. And he's going to continue doing that work until you see Christ face to face. Being a Jew, John had to compare something. Because when your eyes are open and you really see something, now comes a comparison time. Here's this Old Testament. Here's this old teaching. Now I'm getting this new teaching of Jesus Christ. I'm seeing what he's doing. I'm seeing a different compassion between him and the Pharisees or Sadducees or anyone else. I'm looking at this love of Jesus for people and how Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he's weeping. And I imagine the apostles said the same thing the angels said. Why are you mindful of them folks down there? What are you crying about them? And yet he wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. I would have loved to gather you under my wing like a hen gathered his chicken. I would have loved to do that. You don't even know who's passing through here. Yet the compassion. In Luke 11, when he's passing the woman and her son is in the coffin. And he stops. And he raises the young man up. That's his compassion. But through his compassion, he showed his what? His glory. And the life that he raised up. And the deed 
that he did and the work that he performed. What work is God performing in your life that you can identify with? What hard thing right now in your life God's taking you through that as you go through it, you'll be able to see God work and you'll give him glory. What is it that you can identify that is God's work in you today? That God's glorifying himself in you John, as he's seen things of Jesus Christ, had to make a decision between his old and the new. And he followed Jesus. You have to make that same decision. See, a lot of us don't want to see because if we don't see, then I don't have to make a decision. We're like the little child. We put our hands over our eyes that we won't see. And if we won't see it, then you're not there. You ever seen a parent talking to a small child and watch the child cover? But that don't make mom or dad go away just because you cover your eyes. And because you close your eyes to the glory of God that's working in your life doesn't make God go away. Jumping too far. And, and John says, we've seen his glory. We've seen it. If John's seen it, you and I should be able to what? See it. There would be no use of John talking about what he saw in Jesus if you and I couldn't see it. What of the glory of God have you seen? And John talks about beholding it. Why? It's seeable. He gazes with his own eyes upon it. And being a Jew, John had to ask the question about this teaching. Is it really real? Is it really real? And Jesus' life would become a public show. Now that's what we don't like about Christianity. Some of the most terrible things in life has also happened to Christians. My question to you is this. Are you willing to share it that Christ can be glorified? Because some of your terrible things in life should have so broken you that you should be in a mental place. But God somehow came in and strengthened you, raised you up out of that, brought you out of the mire clay, brought you out of your darkness and into his marvelous light. And you know this for yourself. When nobody else loved you, who did? When nobody else would have faith in you, who did? When nobody else would call you by your name, as that song says, he knows my name and he calls me to himself. Jesus' life becomes a public viewing. And if you're in Christ, you should allow your life to become a public viewing. Go to 2 Corinthians 3 again. And let's go to verse 2 and 3. When you try to live a private life, you're trying to put a veil over your life of what God is doing. There's nothing in our lives that should be hidden. 
Why? It's all under the blood of Christ. And anything that is a beneficial, it is through the love and mercy and forgiveness of Christ. So I have nothing to hide. See? But too often, even as Christians, we put a veil over ourselves. And we isolate ourselves. You know how hard it is for me to be up here week after week? I don't like to be with people. Arlen's shaking his head. (laughs) People frighten me. In my young life, I learned people were untrustworthy. (laughs) See, you grew up as a kid who stuttered, and back them days, they didn't have the salve for the wing worms, so you wore a stocking cap. So I stuttered, wore my stocking cap, stuttered so bad, they took me out of school for a year, out of downtown, the first national building, learning how to talk. The whole process, kids can be cruel. And some adults can be also very cruel. Go on and say what you're going to say. Get it on out. If I could get it out, I would. I'm just stuck on something. Elaine was very patient with me trying to propose to her. It was hard getting it out. Because I was stuttering all over the place while I was dating her. But it wasn't until I was at the Coral Falls College with a couple professors praying over me I was set free in a sense of the stuttering. And God has been so gracious and so good. And that's his glory in my life. And every time I'm up here, it's his glory. Not mine. And he says in verses 2 and 3, he says, You yourself are our letters written on our hearts. Known and read by who? Everybody. Who's reading your life? Remember the young couple I told you about? Keep doing what you're doing. Why? Don't be ashamed of God. Boy, if you deny him in public, he's going to deny you. Don't be ashamed. You keep praying. And as you honor God, God's going to honor you. You keep glorifying the Lord. And what you do, because you recognize that you did not provide what you're eating right now. Yes, you can say, I went in my pocket and I paid for it and I did this and I did that. But the reality of that is this. It is God Almighty who provided it for you. And he says, boy, that you are known and read by everybody. When you put a veil over your life, People can't see what God is doing. And see, the reason you don't want the veil, you want people to see the increasing brightness. You want people to see this image of Christ that's flowing through you and out of you. You want people to see that. And that's the glory of God that they see then. And he he goes on, he says, yes, you are our letters written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show. You show. Not that you got a big old light on yourself and everywhere you going around, you got these little signs on yourself that somehow you are openly making yourself to be seen. He says, no. Just because of who you are in Christ, you show that you are a letter from Christ. You show something. You show something that people need to see, that people need to hear, that people need to witness, that people need to understand. 
And you can easily tell people what you see here is not something that I did in and of myself, but it is the work of yes. And he says, you show that you are a letter from Christ. No longer a letter from Paul, but a letter from who? From Christ. Catch that. Catch that change that the Holy Spirit. First Paul says, you're our letter. And then the Holy Spirit switches around in here and says, no, you are the letter from Christ. It's what Christ has done in your life. Not what Paul has done in your life. It's what Christ has done in your life. The results of our ministry written, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human what? Where does God get at? He gets into your heart. He gets into your mind. He gets into the very core of your being. And he doesn't want that covered up. He wants people to see, recognize something, know this. People know what you once were. And sometimes they won't let you forget it. And sometimes... They won't believe what they're seeing right now. And that's why God says, boy, you radiate more and more and more and more. Your life gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. When they come around you, they got to put their sunglasses on. But the whole process is simply this. It's the work of God in your life. Catching that? You're his glory. You're his glory that people see, that people bear witness to of what God is able to do. You can read those other verses on your own. But not all eyes will see the glory of God. The eyes of faith will see it. And the eyes of faith will encourage because they understand this is a work of God that's going on in this life. This is a work of God that's giving victory over this circumstances in life. This is something that God is doing because with every temptation that cometh unto man, God himself, through his mercy and compassion, makes a way of escape, and people see it. And they are asked, how did you get through that? Because they don't understand how you went through it. How you didn't come out all tore up, broken up. That you didn't somehow lose your mind or lose your temper. And it's only because God intervened. God intervened. And not all eyes will see that. If I was an Egyptian, and this is going through the Red Sea, and I'm not going to take time to read it all because time goes quicker than I can go. But the thing is, if I was an Egyptian soldier, I think I would have told Pharaoh, I'll see you back home. Even though they saw the cloud and the pillar go between them and Israel. Where on one side it was dark, the other side it was light. That would have been enough for me to say, goodbye, Pharaoh. Let alone following a command after I see Israel walking through and this water is stacked up. And how many of you have been watching the program? I am interested in times when people are trying to prove God or, or, or trying to prove how did God did something. And, and I've been watching geographics, how, how did these people go through the Red Sea? Some places they want to bring out that the water was just this deep anyhow, no more than six inches, you know. Other places, boy, they didn't went along the hole. Now they're trying to figure out how much water was coming through and scientifically add up the gallons of water that would have to stand up and all this kind of stuff. You know something? 
when Israel saw it, and God said to Moses, lead the people over, nobody questioned, because they knew what was what. Now let me share something with you. In your newness of life, you won't always have the answers, but by faith, step out and believe God. They saw the water open. Moses, you want me to go in there? Who's holding it? Let's at least put up a cement wall to hold it. See? No. By faith, we step into it. They were able to see something more. And because later on in life, they did this, And God said, because they chose to be blinded over what I did for them in bringing them out of Egypt, none of them will enter into what? The promised land. When you choose not to see what God is doing, you'll miss your own blessing. You'll miss your own blessing. Because it's your choice to give glory to God and praise Him or just say nothing and miss. Now go to John chapter 9 because I think you can see it very, very easily there. John chapter 9. And and yes, the man is blind. I want to add very quickly just Something else to it also. In Isaiah, God says he will not share his glory with anyone. In this, and I'm kind of like rushing because of time. In this, I want you to see what the Pharisees say about Jesus. And then when Jesus with the Pharisees, and he's casting out demons. Remember who they credit his ability to cast out demons to? Beelzebub. Remember, God says, I'll share my glory with no one. And when you don't recognize God's glory, you hinder yourself. You miss your own blessings. You stay in your own unbelief because you refuse to believe what you're seeing with your own eyes in your own life. So, in John there, chapter 9, let's pick up in verse 24. Let me get there. A second time, They summoned the man who had been blind. So this is his second time there before them. So not that they were ignorant of this man's answers. Nothing's going to change. This is the second time that you called me. I imagine the man is asking, I've already told you everything. But sometimes you can tell people everything and they just will not what? Believe you. They said, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. But now they're going to give him some instructions. Give glory to God. Now that's a nice religious thing to say, that all glory should go to who? To God. But in our case, we need to understand. God sometimes is nothing but a generic word. We hear our presidents use it. God bless America. I mean, the intention is well. But if you really looked out over America, it would be awful hard to say that. And they said, give glory to God. And they said, we know this man is a what? Who are they describing this to? 
Who's the sinner in this situation? Jesus. We know this man is a sinner. Taking what Jesus had done, rather than seeing his glory, seeing his power, seeing his ability, and be willing to acknowledge he's more than man, they say he's a sinner. He's a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I what? I see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? See the investigation going on? Rather than just believing, they wanted to what? They've seen something with their own eyes, but they will not what? Believe it or accept it. They know the man was once blind. Now he sees, rather than accredit it to God, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who healed him, now we want to investigate this thing to prove one thing. He is a sinner. He is a sinner. This man, if he could, I imagine, would want to put a veil over himself where they wouldn't even know about him. But the veil has been lifted, and he can see. And everybody in that area was able to behold that. He was once blind, but now he's seeing. Once he had somebody leading him around. But now he's able to go in and out on his own. He's a witness, a living witness to the glory of God and the power of God and the transformation of God. That can take place. Now understand this. At this point, he's not even a believer. It wasn't until later on when Jesus asked him, do you know who did this? And Jesus explains to him, the one that is speaking to you did it. And he believes. He believes. Because he realized what took place in his life. While the others became blind, he was able to see. When you choose to be blind to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in worse shape than the one who is literally and physically blind. Because you will not give glory to the one who has performed it. And you need to see it. You need to see it. Now, Jesus is going to let three people really see a glimpse of his glory. Not on so much an earthly plane. Everything that he does in healing and miracles is for this earthly sight, in a sense, to see him working and glorifying the Father and he himself glorifying. And in Scripture he says, I do not glorify myself. The Father does it. The Holy Spirit does it. But he does it that people might see his glory that people will recognize. Making the water in Canaan, in John 2, he says that, boy, he revealed his what? His glory. He revealed his glory. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Because he is going to allow some to see 
him in a complete different light. There's an earthly light of Jesus, but then Jesus allowed these individuals to see a little more. You can say more than the average person. But if we just see God's glory in our own life, his own working in our own life, we'll see his glory. If you'll see what he's doing in somebody else's life and just watch it, you'll see his glory. In 9-1 it says, in Luke, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority and driven out, oh, oh, where am I at? Nope. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, not 9-1 in Luke, it's 9 over in Matthew, it's 1, 7-1. Over here, it starts at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face did what? Changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. What are they talking about? His death. What's going to happen? And maybe even so, his resurrection. But they're talking about what was going to take place. Peter, in verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Now catch this. But when they became fully what? When you become fully awake in the spirit, you'll see God differently. You'll see Jesus differently. When you are fully awake and walking in the spirit of the Holy Spirit, you'll see Jesus differently. And it says when they were fully awake, they saw his what? His glory. Now he wasn't healing anybody. He wasn't casting out any demons. He wasn't doing anything per se, but just talking to two other men. And remember how we said, God says, I'll let my goodness pass you and you'll see all my goodness and my deeds and my mercy and my compassion. And here is Jesus. I believe that's in a different state of glory than what he was in when he was just Jesus, in a sense, doing. Because it says he became brighter, face changed, still recognizable. But there was a change about him. And they were able to see this. But more than that, they were able, and how could these two describe a Moses and Elijah. I don't think their pictures were hanging up in the temple. I don't think over all the years that they could have recognized a Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they were talking so loud that Jesus may have said, Moses, Elijah, and they may have heard his name. But somehow, they knew. Which at that moment in this transfiguration, 
they are all, in a sense, on a different plane other than just earth. Because of their clear understanding. And their eyes now really being what? Opened. You won't really see Jesus clearly until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. You can learn all the doctrinal statements. You can learn all the theories. But there is something about when the Holy Spirit really becomes the teacher that advances you. And he begins to reveal to you what you can't see with your normal eyes. And he says, boy, fully awakened, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Peter acknowledges something. And when you really see and understand, you will say, man, that's good, Lord. That's good. And something else begins to happen. When the Holy Spirit really begins to speak to you and show you something, Tears somehow. And they begin to come down. Because you're experiencing at that moment something far greater than just what you yourself have understanding of. And the tears come. The joy hits the heart. That God would speak to one such as And reveal himself in such a fashion that you're able to catch him and see his glory. To see him, not just what he does, but you see And in John 2.11, he said he revealed his glory at the wedding of Canaan. His first miracle, he revealed his glory. But catch what follows. His disciples believed and followed. His disciples believed. And follow. His disciples believed and follow. Let me close with this. God knows what each one of us need to believe. And if you don't believe, ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask God to show himself to you. Just like he doesn't want to put you behind a veil. Just like he don't want to hide you. He's not going to hide from you. He will show you himself and his glory in your life. If you ask him. Father, We just thank you that John tells us that we can behold the glory of the living God. We can see the glory of Jesus in our lives. We can see his deeds and his work in the lives of others that he is glorifying himself. We can see that. 
And Lord, because of it, we, in a sense, have coined this phrase, to God be the glory for the great things he has done. We can witness it. We can bear witness to it. And we can praise you because of what John says. We have beheld your glory. May you minister to us, Lord. And may you open our eyes that we can see you completely. And one day, Lord, as our hearts long, that we will see you in your fullness. We can't begin to explain that. For God is the Spirit. But one day, Lord, we're going to see you. And when Jesus said unto Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We've seen the love. We've seen the compassion. We've seen the forgiveness. We've seen the work and the doing. But Lord Jesus, we even look forward to that day in heaven when we will see you face to face as you truly are. Thank you, Lord. Minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen.